Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. Picking up on persuasion. Persuasion is the changing of attitudes. An important topic, something very useful um, in personal situations, in business, uh, in nonprofit work, all over the place. Persuasion is everywhere. Uh, the, the classic television show Mad Men, uh, many important scenes about persuasion, about the buying and selling of persuasive ideas. So there's, of course, an infinite number of instances, both big and small, both conscious and unconscious, and a variety of different methods used. Uh, the small ways, um, so I'm, I'm having a discussion with my wife of where we want to go to dinner. I want uh, Asian, we'll say, she wants Italian, and she says, well, you know, you usually get noodles at Asian anyway. We'll go to Italian. You can still have noodles and spices, and it'll be good. And generally, I'll find something like that persuasive. Oh, yeah, yeah, noodles. I love noodles. Sure, why not? Um, you know, little silly examples, and then um, bigger, uh, more in-depth examples are available, too. The big decisions of your life... Uh, should I marry person X? Yes or no. Should we move? Yes or no. Should I take a new job? Yes or no. Uh, there's a lot of persuasion that can come into effect here uh, between family members, between church members, between classmates. Um, it's an important topic. When does it work? Well, in general, in big broad strokes, when we think the persuader is giving us accurate information, when we trust them, uh, and also something to be um, wary of. Easy to be persuaded if you trust someone, and uh, there's stories in the news, feels to me like once every few months, someone at a church doing something they shouldn't be doing, how can they get away with it? Well, if it's the pastor or an elder or something, the people in the church trust them, and uh, they were persuaded by that person. Uh, when we want to gain social acceptance and support, um, that's when per persuasion can work. When we want to maintain a consistency between our attitude and behavior, that is avoiding cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance, again, is uh, when you have some attitudes that are not lined up with your behavior creates this kind of broad-based negative feeling uh, that we call cognitive dissonance. So there are many theories about persuasion, uh, dual process theories versus unimodal theories, just if you want to categorize them broadly. Dual process has two different roots. Um, so say the heuristic systemic model uh, process persuasive messages through either simple heuristics or more informed deliberation. Um, the book um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who's an Harvard economist, who's also the winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics several years ago. You want to pay attention to a psychologist who has a Nobel Prize. That's, that's a free piece of advice for me to you. Uh, that's a serious, serious person. 
So the book Thinking by Fast and Slow is talks about this difference between the simple heuristics, decisions that are happening very quickly, uh, versus more the informed, deliberative way of thinking. Uh, another example, uh, the elaboration likelihood model, when we have a motive and ability to do so, we pay attention to central points of the persuasive message. Uh, so generally said, when we're paying a lot of attention, we look at the message itself, its logic. When we're not paying attention, when we're not as motivated or don't have the ability to, we just kind of look for peripheral cues. Is the message funny? Um, are other people around buying into this message, etc.? Um, so th those were the uh, the dual processes we just looked at, looking at the uni unimodals now. Um, so there are no different information or processing types. Uh, instead, there's just uh, persuasion occurring as a function of complexity of the variable. That is, short, simple messages don't require much processing. Longer, more complex messages have less persuasive powers. Uh, an interesting thought. So what are other factors that affect the likelihood of persuasion? The credibility of the persuader, two-sided arguments, self-validation theory, that is how confident you are in your convictions and the type of emotion elicited by the, uh, by the message influences how persuaded you will be. Uh, and this is a, a this is one um, I think is important for Christians or Christians who are leading groups or leading individuals, leading young people. Uh, building up a person's confidence in themselves and their convictions um, is going to make them less able to be persuaded out of those things. So um, if you want someone. You want to encourage a bunch of young people to act morally. Um, building, you don't just want to tell them over and over again, act morally, act morally, act morally. You know, be building up their confidence and their ability to do so uh, in the strength of their convictions. Um, building the individual um, is sort of a better long-term way uh, to, um, for people to resist persuasion than just to tell them, or uh, then to do the opposite, to, to break them down, or to uh, test them in ways that are destructive to them. And then finally, the perceived social norms. Is everyone doing it, uh, or are they not? It's kind of a simplistic, but very powerful. This is something you're going to find in social psychology a lot. Some of the most simple concepts, like do you perceive that everyone is doing something are some of the most powerful ways to change. This is something that uh, is used effectively in gambling research and alcohol research amongst college-age populations. It turns out college students way overestimate, vastly overestimate, how much uh, they think their, uh, their peers drink and how much they think they gamble. Uh, so if somebody thinks that the average person has 10 drinks a week, and you tell them, well, actually, you know, the average student only has like two drinks a week. Um, that will change their perceptions of the average, and that actually brings people's drinking behavior down, correcting these negative or these uh, incorrect thoughts like, oh, you know, everybody has ten drinks a week. When you change that thought to their truth, which is closer to everyone has two drinks a week, you can also change their individual's behavior. 
and the, the same methods we use in changing gambling behavior. So how do emotions affect persuasion? Well, obviously, positive feelings are more associated with likelihood of persuasion, but fear can also persuade as long as uh, you give away to avoid the feared stimulus. Um, and the results are somewhat mixed on that. Uh, the affect infusion model, the more complex a message, the more one's emotions play a role in whether you're persuaded. But the results remain mixed. And um, so we know that fear can persuade, and yet sometimes, uh, like a recent experiment I read about where uh, they spent, I think it was in Canada, they spent a lot of money, say $50 million, I don't remember what it was, somewhere around there, to put up billboards in this area of Canada um, to encourage people not to smoke uh, tobacco, which is a very uh, negative health behavior, obviously. Um, so they spent all this money using this, this concept that fear can persuade, uh, and what they found was nobody was persuaded, or there was no significant difference in their, uh, in their tested uh, population. So even though we know that it can persuade, and we've seen examples where it does work, there's also examples where it doesn't work. So what are some strategies used in, foot in, the, uh, in persuasion, foot in the door? Uh, it's one, you ask for a small request first and get something, then increase it. The lowball technique, deliberately leave out important information in order to trap the person in the, the door in the face. Uh, my personal favorite, you make a really big ask first, and then when the person refuses, ask for something smaller. And it kind of works on this, um, this idea that you're compromising. So, you know, uh, a charity might do something they might, uh, if they say, hey, can you give $50 a month to this charity? And you go, you know, I really can't. And they say, well, how about $10 a month? And that uses, first it uses the anchoring effect, um, which anchoring, which we talked about is in the heuristics, where you start high and then when you, you lower it, they think, wow, it's a big drop. Uh, but also it seems like they're giving you something. It seems like they're giving you $40 a month. When they say, hey, how about 50? No, well, how about 10? Well, if they just gave you 40, why not give them the 10 they ask for? When in reality, um, of course, they haven't given you anything. They're just using a persuasive technique. And a moral question, which isn't to be addressed here because uh, it's really more of a theological question, but uh, are these things that Christians can use or should be using? Should you use a door-in-the-face technique to raise money for your church or for a charity? Or is this some sort of like implicit uh, manipulation or lying? Is this something that goes against the Ten Commandments or against Christ's command to love one another um, as you would uh, love yourself? I don't know the answer to any of this. It's just uh, something to be thinking about as we talk about this. Uh, and looking at the, the CFR view, um, so persuasion shows our uh, intrinsic relational nature, something we've talked about before, and as well as our fallen condition, there's a destructiveness in persuasive messages. And the CFR view is consistent with the research that we can actively resist negative persuasion. And something I think Christians need to remember, um, you're a child of God, you're not uh, someone who can just be rolled over and persuaded into whatever. Uh, and we know that 
uh, from the Bible, and we know that from research. So what's next? Of course, you should have already completed your reading, and uh, since the lecture's over, you have to work on your writing assignments, your discussion questions, your unit quiz, whatever you have that you need to be working on. And finally, our references, and additionally, I talked about uh, the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and the book uh, Obedience to Authority uh, by Stanley Milgram, and uh, then the third book, uh, The Lucifer Effect by Philip Zimbardo, and that talks about the Stanford Prison Experiment.